following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Well, good morning. Yes, Timothy Kirtanik is way too long a name for a little guy, so TK is just fine. If you forget what initials, just make two up and I'll, I'll answer anyway. It's totally, totally fine. It really is good to be here today at Community Gospel. This is my first time here on a Sunday, and uh, I have known Pastor Jordan for many years. Bethany, good to see you today. And uh, you've sent young people to Momentum through the years and been there at our youth conference, a couple thousand students are attending. Uh, I have driven by this place many, many times. Uh, on the way up to South Bend, this is the way we go, so we can drive by the church and pray for you. I don't know if you knew that or not, but there are people who just because of where you're located, drive by and pray for this congregation. So it's good to be with you today. I've met a number of you. Some of you have been in the Panama Canal recently. Uh, others have been uh, with grandkids, celebrating Christmas. Really, really just enjoyable to be here this morning with you. Yes, C National Church Effectiveness Office, uh, helping all believers to live on mission. And if there's a theme verse that we choose for our organization, it is this. I think it's on the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. And he died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised again on their behalf. Uh, we believe that ministry is the greatest thing that a Christ follower could do with their lives. Now, notice I didn't say being a pastor. Pastoring involves some special gifts, some special ability the Lord gives, but every follower of Jesus Christ needs to be involved in loving God and serving other people. Uh, as I started thinking about what is it that people want in life? Now, some people would say, well, riches or pleasure, relaxation. Can I just say I've had the last week off of work, uh, had the flu a little bit before that, have done nothing for the last week. I could not wait to get here just to be with you today. I have had the life of leisure for the last week, 10 days. I couldn't wait to be with people and to be talking about God's Word, to talk about life, to live life together. Sometimes I think, wow, the life of playing golf every day or being at the beach, every, boy, that seems like it goes well for a few days, but wow, there's so much more to life than that. At least I certainly think so. Uh, it's funny because when we start thinking about this idea, well, what should life really be about? Uh, Jordan said, preach on whatever you want to talk about. So I said, well, I'm going to talk about my two favorite chapters in the Bible. Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 10. So if you have your Bible handy, go ahead and pull that out. Take a look there with me. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends people out to do ministry in his name. If we look at the very first few verses of Luke chapter 10, it says, The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he himself was going to go. And this is where he says, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs amongst wolves. Don't take a purse or a bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. One of the opportunities I have with seeing nationalists oversee their high school student ministry teams, and we look at these passages, what did Jesus do as he sent people out to do ministry? What I find intriguing as these people go out and they do ministry in the name of Jesus is what it's like for them as they come back. 
What I find in verse 17, I think, is outstanding, wonderful news for each of us here today. These people go out and do ministry in the name of Jesus, loving people, serving people in his name. And verse 17, it says this. I think it's a great verse. The 70 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. What I find to be intriguing and interesting is that when people live a life of ministry, they live a life on mission, and they live for Jesus and serve other people, the result is that there is joy in their personal lives, and they also have personal power. Now, I just said that I think that people think, oh, being on the golf course or on the beach or touring Europe or whatever it is we can do, those pleasurable things, that's the meaning of life. In actuality, I think what's really most important in all of life, where there is incredible significance, is when we can have personal joy and we also have power to do the things that God wants us to do. Now, what is joy? Joy is happiness that is independent of circumstances. Tonight, I am going to watch my Steelers win the AFC Divisional North Championship against those, those ugly Bengals from Cincinnati. That is going to bring me great not really joy. It'll bring me happiness because you know what? Tomorrow, eh, life goes on. Oh, yeah, we win. Yeah, win or lose. But it doesn't matter. Now, at least I'm not wearing a Seahawks shirt. I just wanted to make mention of that, my friend. Nice Christmas gift, I will say. And you'll probably beat us later in the season. But tonight, tonight. But that's really not what my joy is focused upon, even though it's going to be great to get together with some friends and watch the Steelers play tonight. That'll be great. But joy is happiness independent of circumstances independent of that. And this idea of power, the idea that God fills us with what it is that we need to do, what he wants us to do, what a way to live. Not only to have joy in life, in all of life, but also to have the power to pull those things off that he wants us to do. Do you know people who live that way? People who are filled with joy and power? When I think about that, I think about my father, who is my first personal example of someone who lived on mission and lived a life of joy and of power. He's been with Jesus about four and a half years now. But I think about my dad. Uh, my father was a professor of biblical studies at Biola University in Southern California. Uh, that's why I grew up out there for those years. Uh, he pastors and taught God's word at dozens and dozens of churches across the Southland there. Uh, I was told that he was the most degreed person in Grace School's history, all the way from his bachelor's to his doctoral degree. And he served on the Grace School's board for 18 years. It was a great highlight of his life. Uh, while he was my first personal example of somebody who lived on mission, it wasn't because of his roles, because of his titles, it wasn't because of his positions, but because of the balance that he had learned, the idea of learning and knowing God's truth from his word about being a person who was like Christ, that Christ-like character. And also, he was one who understood the idea of doing good works. That Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Yeah, we're saved by grace through faith for the purpose of doing good works. My dad was a balance of those things. At the same time, he was also probably the least likely candidate that should have been an example of one who lived on mission. My father was born in a poor coal mining town in western Pennsylvania. Now you see the Steeler connection, right? Uh, he was the youngest child born to Ukrainian immigrants. My grandfather, I'm told, worked in the coal mines. I never met him. He passed away before I was ever born. But every month, they would owe more to the company store than what my grandfather actually made. 
Christmas consisted of oranges. That was it. They ate everything. They ate the seeds. They ate the skin. The inside. Every, that was their Christmas was orange. They just had very little. They had basically nothing. I remember hearing stories from my father that his first pair of dress shoes he got when he was 14 years of age, pulled them out of a trash can. The first day of summer every year was the same. The kids in that area, they'd all get their hair buzzed off. They would be given a brand new t-shirt and a pair of jeans, no shoes. That was their summer outfit. That marked my dad to such a degree. I never saw my father with short hair. I never saw my father wear just a t-shirt. I never saw my father ever wear a pair of jeans. He had just associated that all with being poor. I never saw him wear that. When my father's mom died when he was at age 13, uh, he became shy and withdrawn. Uh, he was raised then by an abusive father. Uh, they went to a Greek Orthodox church that was very religious, but had absolutely nothing of a personal relationship with a loving Savior named Jesus. My father joined the army at the beginning of World War II and went to England. Met my mother there, so my mom has a British accent from the Midlands there, Derby area. And so he was 23 and she was 19. She grew up in Church of England stuff, but not really anything that impacted her life, anything. My father's family said, do not marry this woman. She is only marrying you for your money. To which my mother's response to this day has been, I'm still looking for that money. And it's not there, trust me. They moved back to western Pennsylvania. My father was basically an atheist. He worked as a a press operator. And from the stories I hear, he was a drinker and a gambler and pretty good at both. But everything changed in February 1950. There was a man at my mom's work who said to my mom, Hey, why don't you and your husband, why don't you come to church with me on a Sunday morning? So for some reason, they said, Yeah, we'll go. So my parents got ready got in the car, drove to the church, got to the parking lot, looked around, said, it's kind of crowded around here. They're a little bit uncomfortable. So they turned around and they left and they went home. On Monday, that gentleman came up to my mom and said, I thought you said that you and your husband were coming to church on Sunday. She said, you know, we were there. It was just kind of crowded. And so we just turned around, went back home. And he said, tell you what, if you come next Sunday, I will meet you in the parking lot and I'll walk with you and I'll sit with you. How's that? And they said, Okay, so the next Sunday, they actually went. The the man met them in the parking lot. They walk into church. And during that Sunday morning, my father, for the very first time in his life, heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. He heard the good news that Jesus lived a perfect life, the perfect God-man, who came to earth to live this perfect life and to be a substitutionary death on a cross for all the wrong that anyone has ever done. The Bible calls that wrong sin, and it separates us from a holy God. And my father heard that there was good news, that there were answers to his problems, answers to his questions, and he heard that Jesus died, went to the grave, and rose again. That third day rose again. And if you put your personal faith in Jesus Christ and say, I claim that he did that for me, I give the wrong that I've done to him, and I claim his righteousness so that God sees me through the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's his goodness and his righteousness, not my own. I want that. There was no invitation. There is no hymn. There is no raise your hand. There is nothing like that. But at the end of the service, my father turned to my mother and he said, I will never be the same man again. And he wasn't. Six weeks later, he was actually teaching fourth grade boys Sunday school. 
Yeah, I don't know how you jump in right there, but he, he did. And just really knew that God had a calling upon his life. He would go to work at Westinghouse Airbrake as his press operator. And he would talk with people about the difference that Jesus was making in his life. He was a new creation. He was different. He was so all the guys at work were going, uh, Nick's got religion, you know? And so they'd be talking about Nick and they'd be doing this. But my dad kept talking about the difference that Jesus made in his life. My father felt that call to ministry, and that's when he came to Grace College in 1953. And as those guys got ready for him to leave, I found it really interesting that they all got together, pulled some money, they bought a Bible, and actually all signed it and gave it to my dad as a going-away gift to say, you know what, you don't just talk about this stuff, you live this out. I find that incredibly um, a neat thing for my dad in his life, that he was one who lived it and talked about it. My father was my first example of somebody who lived on mission, somebody who lived with joy and with power. But my best example of someone who lives that way with joy and with power is not my father. My best example is a man with whom my mom worked, a man who was not a pastor nor a church leader. He wasn't anybody special, didn't have any gifts. He just invited some people that were just wandering through life that needed hope. He invited in the church, took a chance, followed up with them. He was a man who lived on mission, who lived with joy and power. I don't even know that guy's name. I have no idea who he is. But the influence that man has had on countless thousands of people because of my dad's teaching ministry, whether in schools or churches, and therefore even upon my life, any ministry opportunities that I have had can all be traced then through my parents, through this man who just was living on mission as he was at work. I thank God for my dad. I thank God for this gentleman. I've been blessed. I grew up in a family with an example of somebody who lived on mission. Jordan mentioned Ed Lewis, my boss, the executive director at C National. If you've uh, never met Ed, he's a quiet, unassuming... No, I'm kidding. Uh, Ed loves Jesus. He's passionately in love with him, follows him. I can tell you story after story of Ed sharing his faith, loving people, helping people in need, uh, praying with waitresses and restaurants. He is a man who just lives this out of joy and in power, and it challenges me to be one who lives on mission. It's my hope that my influence as I work with Operation Barnabas leaders and students, as I work with students in the National Institute, as I work with all of those, that they would be people that might catch something of joy and power from my life as I get to be around Ed, as I was influenced by my father. What about you? What about you? Is there someone that you know well who is or has been an example of somebody who lives on mission, somebody who lives this kind of life with joy and power? Maybe uh, it's a parent. It was a parent, or it is a parent. Uh, maybe it's someone at this church. Uh, but aren't they the kind of people that make a difference, that motivate us, that also that we want to be around? Uh, I think so. I think so. Well, Luke chapter 10 did not just appear. Uh, there's a setting for what happened of Jesus sending these people out. Turn your Bible to Luke chapter 9, just right in front of that. And I just want to take a quick look as some things from Luke chapter 9 that set the stage for Jesus sending these people out. Actually, Jesus sends the 12 out at the beginning of chapter 9. We're just going to take kind of a run through this a little bit. And you'll see there that after he sends them out doing ministry, is that he then feeds the 5,000. He uses his disciples to be involved in that. Again, more of their ministry training. We can see that later in the chapter, starting in verse 18, is a story about Peter's confession about who the Christ is. And then a few of them got, got to see what happened, this Mount of Transfiguration. 
and they prove again that they don't really understand everything going on. Jesus then shows them the healing of a boy with a, an evil spirit, and they really prove, as you go on a little bit farther than the chapter in verse 46, that they really don't understand what a life of ministry is about, because it says in verse 46 that an argument arose amongst them. Now, they could have been arguing about all kinds of things. Well, the argument involved which one of them might be the greatest. If they really understood a life of ministry, they'd understand that Jesus is the greatest, uh, but that wasn't what their argument, their conflict was about. And then it goes on a little bit more and talks even about the Samaritan oppression after that and opposition. But Jesus, before he sends people out, understands that people need to know that there are some things that need to be true of a person's life if they're really going to be effective in ministry. He says three very specific things to three people as far as the cost of what it's going to cost someone in order to follow Jesus. There's a cost to it. Take a look there at verse 57 and verse 58. It's up on the screen or it's in your Bible. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus was actually homeless, never had a place of his own. His ministry was supplied with finances from other people, specifically wealthy women in the area, and Jesus never had a place of his own. I think there's a principle that Jesus is talking about, that if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, if we're going to be ones who are going to be his disciples, there are going to be a cost, and that cost is going to be, according to verse 57, 58, is this. It's going to at times cost us our comfort our comfort. I wish I could tell you that I don't struggle with that. No, I, you know what? I like being comfortable. I enjoy being comfortable. But Jesus didn't even have a place to lay his head. The birds, the foxes, they've got their places. How are you doing with that today? How do I do with that today? Is life about comfort? Jesus, in this example about what it takes to follow after him, says it's going to end up costing us our comfort. But it doesn't stop there. There's another discussion that goes on. Next verse, in verse 59, he says to another, follow me. But he said, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Now, in that culture of that day, uh, a little bit different than today's culture, certainly. And when it says, permit me first to go and bury my father, it would make it sound like his father is just, actually in that culture, the man's father was not dead yet. He was saying, wait until my father is dead, because that's where the inheritance part comes in. I'm going to stick around for as long as he's here so I can have that. And Jesus is saying, no, uh, let that take care of itself. Follow me now and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God right now. Well, not only the idea in verse 57, 58, that to be a disciple of Jesus is going to cost us our comfort, but you know what? In verse 59, verse 60, there are times where it's going to cost us our relationships. Relationships are a good thing. They're a wonderful thing. And yet on the priority list, where does Jesus fall in that? He's saying, if you're going to be a disciple of mine, the most important relationship that has to happen is the relationship that a person has with Jesus. Well, it goes on and says one more thing, that there's going to be a cost to being a disciple of Jesus Christ, not just our comfort, not just the idea of our relationships. But the last one is this, the last two verses of the chapter. It says, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. 
Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Key words there is that no one after putting their hand to the plow can look back. That last idea, flash those words right up there on the screen. Not just the idea that it's going to cost us our comfort and not just the idea that it's going to cost us our relationship, but it's going to cost us our past. Now for some people, (laughs) there are such good things in our past, we don't want to let go of those things. Those are good things. They define us. It's who we are. And yet Jesus is saying no one can look back. It's about looking forward. Now there are others that are here going, "Uh, you don't know my past. My past is not good. It is not a positive thing. And so we say, well, God could never use me because of the things that have happened. Can I just share some good news with you today? Jesus is much more interested in where you're going than where you've been. He is a God of forgiveness, of grace, and of mercy. He is not interested in looking back. He is looking forward, and he wants to use you. It's going to cost us our comfort. It's going to cost us our relationships. It's going to cost us our past, and that may be positive. That may be negative. And it sets the stage then for this idea of Jesus sending them out in chapter 10 to do ministry. Now, the word ministry is kind of a confusing word. We kind of get this in our English language of maybe the word love. Uh, I can say to you, I love my country. I love my dog. I love hot dogs. I love my wife. I love apple pie. And I really do love apple pie. I love, you understand the differences when I use that word love. Totally different to love my country than love my wife. We understand those ideas. Ministry is a word similar to this in that we say ministry, but everything is ministry. Well, let's define that just a little bit so we have an understanding of what this is. We believe that there are four areas, maybe four levels of ministry, if you will, for those that are going to live on mission. The first one is this. It's the lowest level. There's nothing wrong with this part of ministry. In fact, it's a very good thing. But the lowest beginning level of ministry is a task. Turn to the person next to you and say, task. Yeah. Turn to the person on the other side of you and say, task. Oh, very good. Now, the idea of actually doing something in serving others and serving Jesus is a job or a role. It's not related with people, but it's related in doing a job. Uh, things maybe such as, oh boy, I should have written some examples down just to make it easy on myself. But you know what? When the parking lot needs to be plowed, that's a job, it's a task. The building needs to be cleaned. The nursery needs to be cleaned up. You do a social activity, it needs cleaned up. Or so. those, are all ta- those are all very good things, but they're not people related. But it's a beginning ministry level. It's a good thing. Well, let's move on from there. Because while that's good, what's a little bit more difficult, a little more challenging, and more people-related. is not just a task, but it's helping those who are not like us. It's helping those who are not like us. It might involve being a Sunday school teacher. It might be involved with being a youth group leader. It might be involved with, what do you call them, next-gen ministries? There's always opportunities to serve the next generation. That's the next level from just a task. is people-related, but the idea of being involved in people's lives. Well, there's a third level. It's a little bit more difficult. It's based on tasks, based on the idea of helping those who are unlike us. But the next level is a little more difficult. It's helping those who are like us. There are peers, our peers, our coworkers, our friends, our neighbors, our teammates. That's a little bit more difficult. The most difficult person for me to reach for Christ is a 50-something-year-old guy. You know why? 
because I'm a 50-something-year-old guy. I can talk to children. I can talk to youth. I can talk to seniors because they're not my peers. But you understand it's a graduated level of understanding what ministry is. Now, there's another level of ministry that you don't have to do it in this order, but it is probably the most challenging. It's having this mindset that wherever we go, whoever we come across, that we are going to serve those people. So that fourth level is whomever we come across as we are going, as we are going, whoever it is that we come across. So how do you do that? Well, that's one of the reasons CE National offers opportunities at Momentum or the Urban Hope Training Center in inner city Philadelphia or our Operation Barnes. Because we believe there's great value in people going and doing ministry somewhere and then coming home and continuing to have that mindset, continuing to make a difference. Now, a lot of times people will say, well, I'm going to do that ministry trip or that missions trip, and that's where I'm going to go serve God And then I'm going to come back home and just continue life as normal. No, no, no. The reason you go is to learn how to serve. In actuality, those trips are practice fields. That's practice so that when you come home, you continue to make a difference for Jesus. The reason to go and to do ministry is so that it will train you. It will teach you when you come back home of how to live on mission for Jesus. Sometimes I think we get that backwards, but we think the emphasis is about over there. We run the Urban Hope Training Center in Philadelphia. It's in the toughest part of Philadelphia called Kensington. You know what? We really don't need more help in reaching Kensington with the gospel because there are a group of believers who are doing that there. There are former drug acts or people who've been living incredible immoral lives who've come to Christ and they are reaching their neighborhoods for Christ. But the reason to go there is to practice, to learn to articulate faith, to love people, to serve people. So then we come back to our home area. We've practiced and we know what we're doing because we've done that practice field stuff. And now we have the game when we get back here. We think that's incredibly, incredibly important. So where do we do this when we are here? How do we live a life of ministry where we are? Well, the first area I would suggest, or be three of them, would be where we live. One would be where we live in our neighborhood. Do you know your neighbors? Do you know who lives on your street in your neighborhood? It's the opportunity to be available. The idea of being present, being kind, being compassionate. It's taking the time. My next door neighbor is Bob. I've known him for a number of years. Not incredibly well. Very difficult guy to get to know. But last year, I'm uh, actually aerating my lawn. Bob on this side, Mary on this side, and you would think that they were golf course supervisors when it comes to their yards. I mean, their yards are beautiful. And then there's ours in the middle, okay? So anytime that I can do something to make our neighborhood, our lawns look a little bit better, the neighbors appreciate it. So I rent this aerator that pulls out plugs of dirt, and you've seen that kind of stuff. And so I'm using my father-in-law's riding mower, and I'm pulling this thing around, and you pay by the hour for this thing. And, and not only am I not that great with my lawn, I'm also cheap. So I, I don't want to be paying for this thing any longer than I have to. But as I'm working, as I'm going through their drive around, I look over and I see Bob. And I think, I've got a decision to make here. Do I get off this little tractor thing? And do I spend time with Bob? Because it's going to take me time, which is going to cost me money. And this guy isn't always easy to talk to oh, yeah, I'll stop. And we end up talking, having a conversation, finding out all kinds of really interesting things about Bob. His mom is dying, probably not going to last very long. Finding out he's talking about quitting his job, talking about moving to Tennessee. All these things we're just talking about life. I'm glad I took that time. Do I always? No. Should I? I should do better at that. But God has put Bob living right next door to us because he's mine. 
He's put me in that neighborhood to be a light for Jesus, to love him, to care about him. And he's a difficult guy to care for and a difficult guy to love. But not only is it our neighborhoods, where we live, that we're supposed to be living on mission. Another place that we're supposed to be doing that is where we work or at our school, at our jobs. Wherever we work or wherever we go to school, it's not by accident. Work hard, do your best, work with integrity. Look for opportunities to be loving and kind and pray for God to open up those opportunities to have conversations with people. How about the places that we have fun? Not just our neighborhoods, not just the idea of where we work or go to school, but the places that we play. View yourself as a missionary. Pray for one person specifically that you have something, some kind of hobby that you can do. You've got to think long-term. For me, uh, I grew up doing the soccer thing in Southern California. It was that first wave of California kids who played soccer, and so I got involved in coaching. And then the last 20 years, I've been refing in the Warsaw, went on a lake community. And I use that as opportunities to talk about my faith. When you're the center ref, you run the show. It doesn't matter if you're the least experienced official or most. You run the show with your other two other guys. And so I will do this as we talk about you watch this, I watch this, we'll be on the same page. Hey, before we hit the field, let's have a word of prayer. And if you're the center guy, you run the show. And so I have never, ever in 20 years of refing have ever had somebody go, yeah, I don't want to be a part of that. I've actually had guys, when they're the center ref, say, hey, before we hit the field, TK is going to pray for us. I've had some amazing conversations with people who are soccer referees because that's where I play. Here's the beauty of it. They also pay me to referee. Remember that cheap part? They pay me to do my hobby, and I can still pray with them and for them, and it's great. As we do our ministry training with high school students, as they're walking through the mall, as they're going through neighborhoods, as they're at the beach, wherever they're at, we want them to see people who have eternal needs, and we have opportunity to share good news. We have an opportunity to love people, to pray for them, to pray with them. I was uh, on an airplane ride not that long ago. Whenever I'm on an airplane, I always pray that the Lord would give me opportunities to talk to the person uh, next to me. They can't go very far. Across from me is a young gal, and uh, she's just pretty sharp. And you know if you've flown that there are people sit down, they put the earbuds in, they, they don't want to talk. You know what that's like. Got it. But it's funny, towards the end of the flight, a lot of times people will take those out, and they're open to have a little chit-chat time kind of thing. So we start talking and find out that she actually works for Pepsi, we're flying into Los Angeles, and she works. She's based there. And she goes, I love what I do. I love what I do. She goes, but it is consuming my life 24-7. In fact, when we landed, she turned her phone on. I don't think I'm exaggerating when her phone lit up with about 30 messages. I mean, that was in a four-hour time. I mean, she says this is like this all the time. Every weekend, every morning, all the time. She goes, I just bought a condo with my boyfriend, and I love my work. But we're really starting to ask the question, is this really worth it? Ooh, that sounds like a really interesting statement to try and explore. I said, you know, it's funny you should talk about that, that you should say that, because a friend of mine wrote a book, and got a friend named Mark Cahill, is a guy that we partner with in evangelism, and he's written a number of books. One of them is called One Heartbeat Away, and I happen to have that book with me. And I said, you know, I have a friend who wrote this book, and um, he would want me to give it to you. Because the question you're asking, is it worth it, is really what this whole book is based on. Is what you're going through in life worth it? Because after you take your final breath, then what? And he would want me to give this to you. She goes, it was funny because you're thinking, oh, I'm shoving this book off. She goes, wait, wait, wait. You would give me a book for free? Sure. Mark would want me to. She was the most grateful, thankful, kind woman. She was, it was, even if she left the plane, she's chatting away. She goes, 
How's God going to use that? I don't know. I have no idea. But all I know is that she's beginning to ask some really, really important questions. It's going to just be a step in the process of this woman coming to know Christ because she doesn't yet. On one of our summer ministry teams in Southern California, we're always praying for opportunities wherever we're at. Uh, it was an afternoon where we didn't have any ministry plan, and so we decided we were going to take the high school students to Hollywood. Hollywood, excuse me. And as, as we're, you know, we get this idea Hollywood's all glamorous. It is seedy. It is gross. It is, but you got to see it. So I'm driving this big bus. My wife's in this uh, 15-foot luggage vehicle, all the kids. So we've been there. We grew up there for 30-some years. So we dropped them off. We're going to meet you guys in an hour. No place to park really down there. So we drop them off. We'll meet you right here in an hour. So we go up, turn left, turn left again, come to Hollywood High School, turn right. And right on the corner is an In-N-Out Burger. Now, if you've not had an In-N-Out Burger yet, you've not really lived, okay? But here's the point. We'd, we'd have lunch. We weren't going there for food. But as we came around the corner, there was just enough parking to put a big blue bus and a luggage vehicle right in the park. And then we can go be with our students. So we're going, this is great. We've been praying for opportunities. Maybe we'll talk to some people right on the street. So I parked the bus. I'm getting down the steps of the bus. As I get out of the bus, as soon as I hit the blacktop, I hear a voice from right over here say, what is a little guy like you driving such a big bus like that? Now, if that's not an invitation to talk with someone, I don't know what is. So Dana and I go over to this lady. She's seated in her brown Toyota Celica. She's just sitting there. So we go over and talk about, well, we were in this high school ministry team. We're out all summer. The kids are on the street. We're going to meet with them. And uh, she tells us a little bit of why she's there. Her husband is the security guard for the in and out. It's 2.30 in the afternoon. He's come on at 2 o'clock. He gets off at 10.30 that night. And what he does is he takes a round, a lap right through the restaurant. He goes out into the parking lot, walks around the parking lot, comes through right where her car is parked, and then takes about 30 seconds to a minute, talks with her, and then just continues, finishes that loop. And he's going to do that for eight and a half hours. And she doesn't have anything to do that day. So she's parked right there so that every three or four or five minutes, he'll come by and they can chat for a minute. That's why she's there. Okay. So we start talking about what we're doing, talking about who Jesus is in our lives, how uh, he gives hope, he gives purpose, he gives meaning. You know where this story is going, all right? This lady in, I remember her name. Her name is Tina Tucker. I was going to say Tina Turner. Tina Turner is Jesus too, okay? But Tina Tucker (laughs) prays to receive Christ in her brown Toyota Celica parked at the In-N-Out in Hollywood, California. Here's the thing I will never forget. This is the part I will never forget. She gets done praying to receive Christ in her brown Toyota Celica. She lifts her eyes. She is beaming. Cheek to chair, smile, just radiant. And then she said words I will never forget. She goes, it's funny. I prayed last night that God would send me, send me somebody religious to come talk to me. What did that have to do with Dana and me? Absolutely nothing. This was a woman who was searching for truth. Who knew, knew some things about Jesus. Never put that together. But is that not the most bizarre thing? It has nothing to do. So for eight and a half hours, they're going to sit in an in and out parking lot. But God answered her prayer. Maybe you this week are going to be the answer to somebody's prayer because they're praying right now, God, send me someone religious to come talk to me because they need Jesus. I was uh, on another plane flight. Uh, I do fly quite a bit, and, uh, but some of my stories come from those as well. I'm flying from L.A. back to this area, 
And uh, up against the window in the middle seat, there are two Chinese gentlemen. And uh, I'm on the aisle. And, uh, you know, as we're starting to land again, I, start, I said, well, you know, what are you doing here? Why are you here from China? And they were actually doing postdoctoral work at Purdue University. So these guys are very bright, very sharp. And uh, so I just started thinking, okay, how can I try and bridge to anything spiritual, anything about Jesus, anything about the gospel? And I said, since coming to America, have you heard anything about Jesus or Christianity? Obviously, they're from China. They're not going to have a whole lot of contact with that, probably where they're at. And, uh, and by the way, I, I'm not looking to have me be able to present the gospel. I'm looking to have a conversation. Sharing the good news of Jesus is about a conversation, not a presentation. It's starting that dialogue. And so I asked, so what about this thing in America? Have you heard about Jesus and heard about Christianity? And the one knew English a little bit better, the one next to me, he says, yes, we've been going to some meetings with some people from Campus Crusade for Christ. They call themselves crew. Have you ever heard of them? I said, yes, yes, I have heard of them. Uh, What are you learning about Jesus there? And the guy stopped for just a second to gather his thoughts, and he said, we're learning that if I am going to follow Jesus with my life, that everything changes. I looked at him, I said, oh, you do not know how close you are to making the most important decision. We talked just a little, I believe that those guys are following Jesus. I believe I will see them in heaven one day. See, I'm just one more cog in the wheel. Very short, brief conversation. There are a whole lot of other people doing much more heavy lifting than me. But it takes 7 to 15 contacts with people before they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I was just looking to do one very small thing. So you're sitting here going, okay, so what do you want me to do? Let's start wrapping this thing up. Let's land this plane. I'll tell you exactly what I've been praying for all week. I've been praying that you would be willing to take one step forward. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? If you don't, then today, I would hope today is your day of salvation. That you would say, Jesus died for me. I have done wrong. I'm separated from God because of that. And I want to have purpose. I want to have joy. I want to have power. I would hope for you today, your step forward and say, today's the day that I surrender. I put the stake in the ground. I trust you, Jesus. That's what I'd hope for you. If you're here today and say, no, I'm a follower of Jesus, my question for you would be, is there a specific area where you may need to say, am I really counting the cost? Have I considered the cost? Maybe for you, you know what? Something needs to change. I need to be willing to give up my comfort. And you're thinking of a specific thing. Maybe for some of you, it's a relationship thing. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. But for you, what is it that's the most important relationship? Does that need to change for you today? For you, maybe it's about your past. You've been saying, my past has defined me. The wrong that I have done, God could... God is more interested in where you're going than where you've been. He's a God of forgiveness and mercy. For others, we've used it as, oh, when I was younger, I followed Jesus. He wants you to be passionate and follow him today. Is that where you need to put your stake in the ground today? Is it in your comfort? Is it in your relationship? Is it in your past? Maybe for you, it has to do with this idea of living on mission. Maybe for you, you're going, I'm not really living this way of putting others first and serving God and serving Jesus. And maybe for you, there's a task that if you ask anyone in leadership around here that you could help with. That'd be a great step for you today. Maybe for you, you're going, no, I do the task, but I'm not sure I ever do anything with people. Well, maybe for you, that's going to be involved with the next-gen ministries. That's involved in some other ministry that this church does. That'd be great. 
Maybe for you, you're doing those things. That's great. But the next level, the next step for you is the idea of, I need to minister with people like me. Maybe those are people that you work with, that you're in school with. I don't know. What is your next step? The last one. Maybe you're going, you know, I'm really trying to do those things, but I need to better develop this idea of helping anybody that I come across. Here's the problem with that, is that any time that we want to then minister to people that we come across, the Lord sends us delays in our schedule. You're in the longest line at the checkout at the grocer. You know why? Because he wants you to have a conversation with somebody. There's, uh, the car doesn't start. That stinks, doesn't it? But then you call AAA or call a friend over, and it's an opportunity to have a relationship because they're people that you come across. Maybe you have to go to the doctor's office. And you know that time in the waiting room drives me crazy, but maybe the reality is the reason that you have that time there is to have some conversation and build that bridge. And there's somebody who's praying, God, send me someone religious to go come talk to me today. Can I give you permission? Some of you are going, ah, how do you start this? Can you, you're going to forget my name. You're going to forget the initials. It doesn't matter. It's fine. Just remember this incredibly good-looking speaker on Sunday challenged me to go ahead and do this. We, we do something and say, a two-question survey. Two questions. And, and I encourage you to do this. So you're just doing homework. I give you an excuse. Two-question survey. Ask somebody, hey, I was encouraged to ask people these two questions. One would be, what do you think the most important thing in life is? And do you have it? Follow-up question, that is, so what do you think happens after you take your final breath on this earth? If those don't open up opportunities to talk about Jesus, then that's okay. It's not the right time. But it's interesting. You always ask those questions. It's interesting the conversations that you can get into. Can I show you one last thing from Luke chapter 10? I hope this makes your day. But we've seen that when the 72 went out and did ministry after counting the cost and do ministry in the name of Jesus, they come back in verse 17 and they return with joy and they return with power. In verse 21, it even gets better. And this is the greatest note to end on. In verse 21, it says, And at that time, Jesus, filled with joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to children. Not only do those who do ministry experience joy and power, in verse 21 it says that Jesus himself is filled with joy. It is the only time in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, that it uses that phrase that Jesus is filled with joy. And when was that? When people were involved in ministry in his name, living on mission and serving others in the name of Jesus. It is a great way to live, to have joy and to have power, but it also gives Jesus joy. How's your joy and how's your power this morning? If it's lacking, I bet it's tied somehow to the role we take on with ministry of thinking about others more than self. Can I challenge you today to take one step forward? Let's pray. God, we come before you today and we're grateful for passages like Luke 9 and Luke 10. God, we are are people that are told by the world that it's all about the lap of luxury. It's all about what I get out of it. And yet, God, from Luke 9, Luke 10, God, joy and power comes from doing ministry in your name. And so, Father, we, we hear these words. We want you to have joy in us as well.
And just with your head bowed and your eyes closed, we're not going to have you come forward, but if you know that you are taking a step, a step in one of those specific areas that I mentioned. Maybe it's asking Christ to be your Savior. Maybe it's in the area of comfort, an area of maybe your past, of relationship. Or maybe it has to do with taking a step in ministry of, I'm going to do a task, or I'm going to minister to somebody who's not like me, or I'm going to minister to a peer. I need to take the next step in doing ministry as it comes up. Would you just look at me so I can pray for you? I'm not going to embarrass you. Thanks. God, you've seen our hearts. God, we want to be people who have joy and power, but most of all, God, we want you to have joy in us. Father, thank you for this time of year where we celebrate the birth of the Christ child. God, he didn't stay that baby. He came to be a sacrifice for us. And Father, in turn, we want to give everything to him. Father, work in our lives. Give us incredible opportunities, God, this week. And may we be people who truly live on mission. And we'll say thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab. 